Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. If you're new to our church or haven't been here in a bit, we are in the middle of a series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is included in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And then that sermon, Jesus also gave us the Lord's Prayer, which is also recorded in the Gospel of Luke. We are spending several weeks on each petition of the Lord's Prayer. This will be our second week on the third petition, which is, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to read the entirety of Jesus' prayer. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Jesus taught them, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I attended seminary at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis. It's the Presbyterian Church in America. That's our denomination. It's our denomination seminary. And I was very excited to go. Went in 94, graduated in 97, and the experience was very rich. I had been warned that it's not always that way. Some people have had darker times, darker experiences in seminary, but mine was very rich. The only thing that was disappointing was at that time in the curriculum, there was not a single course offered on prayer. You would get bits and pieces of prayers as you studied the Gospels, like Matthew or the Pauline epistles, some of the Old Testament text. But in terms of a course, specifically on prayer, how to pray, it didn't exist. And on my exit interview, like all the students, you had your opportunity to just share your experience. And let me be very clear again, it was an incredible experience. I loved it. But I missed that. I felt like there's something missing that if a seminary isn't training women and men to know how to pray, there's a problem. And there was. And the problem was born out of an assumption that if you are a person who feels called into gospel ministry, we believe you already know how to pray. And since that time, not necessarily because of my conversation, I think the realization has been captured that prayer is really important. And today, people don't really know how to pray. They know some things about prayer, but prayer is not meant to be a subject that we study and just become more educated about. It's a practice, a means of grace that any follower of Christ can engage in. And prayer is extremely powerful. That's why I believe it wasn't in the curriculum. I believe it's so powerful that the enemy didn't want women and men who were deep in prayer. God has given us this means of grace called prayer. And we could pray at any time about anything to the living God who cares, who is supreme over all. But as we pray, we're always keeping in mind the will of God. Last week, I shared with you about the will of God, that that word means many different things. One of the things that the will of God means is that there are these sovereign decrees that God has given, and those decrees cannot be violated. Those decrees cannot be stopped. 
So when God himself said, let there be light, there was light. When Jesus himself, who is God, said to Lazarus, come out, rise up, wake up, come out. Lazarus, that was a decree. He, he was dead. He didn't have a choice. He got up and came out. But another part of God's will is not his decrees, but it's his desires. It's what God has revealed, and it's not a mystery. It's what he's revealed in his word that we are to obey. It's his testimonies, his commands. It's what he's declared, and that is what his people are to follow. Those desires, those commands, that which he has revealed, that which has been declared, those can be and are often violated by his people. That's why we confessed what we did a few minutes ago, that we, even though we know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, even though we know what it means to be a follower of Christ, even though we know what his word has said regarding the people of God, what we should be about, what we should pursue, we still turn and rebel against that. And time and time again, we go back to his mercy, which is made new each morning. So God's revealed will, his de- what he's desired, what he's declared, what he's commanded, we definitely have, do, and will violate the side of heaven. This morning, I want to answer one question. And the question is very simple. What are we praying when we pray on earth as it is in heaven. This is centered upon the revealed will of God, the desires of God. It's centered upon two things. First, it's a submission to his authority. It's a submission and a surrender to his decrees. But it's also an obedience to whatever he has called us to. And when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are actually praying that God would cause people that he's created to obey his will, which is always good for us. In seminary, though I didn't have a class, I did learn to pray. I learned to pray primarily by a professor whose name is Hans Byers. My first semester, my first fall semester is when he arrived on campus as a new professor. He came over from Germany and his specialty was teaching Greek, the language Greek, and then New Testament. Hans Byers is a dear man, a very godly man, and though we didn't have a course offered, he would pray before each lecture. And listening to his prayers taught me so much about prayer. Also, he was really hard. He was a very difficult professor. He came from the European model, which was, I don't think we should have quizzes and tests which sounds good, except that there should be one test at the end of your entire education. And that test should be one question. And that one question should be so full of a scope that it encompasses everything you've learned. Now, some of you might like that. That terrifies me. And when you think about how hard he was, well, it wouldn't have been an easy question. This man who was so intense, so deep, such a perfectionist in what he was requiring of us was also so tender and gentle in the way he prayed for his students. But he didn't pray things that the students were necessarily praying, like for grades. He prayed big kingdom prayers, prayers that only God could answer, 
prayers that only God's people would be praying for. He taught us to begin to pray in a way that would cause Satan to shudder. One of the professors asked us that question once in a devotion. He said, I'm curious, do your prayers make Satan shudder? Well, do your prayers make Satan shudder? It's actually easy to know. One of the benefits of journaling or keeping a prayer list, you can do this mentally or you can do it electronically or you can write it the old way with a pen and paper. But if you record what you're praying for, you begin to see what really matters to you in regards to prayer. And whatever that list is, you shouldn't feel shame about it. But you should ask the question, does this list reflect the priorities that Jesus taught in the Lord's Prayer? Do the things I'm praying for, the things I'm burdened by, do those reflect the things that Christ thinks are important, that we should engage in? Do your prayers make Satan shudder? The danger of the Lord's Prayer is that it's so familiar. The danger of the Lord's Prayer is that it's so beautiful. The danger of the Lord's Prayer, it's been put to music, and we know the words. The danger of the Lord's Prayer is many of us learned it in a locker room instead of the church, and often the words mean nothing. Or we don't even really know what the words do mean. That's why I feel the burden this morning to share with you that when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying a very, very deep, powerful prayer. Luther called it a frightening prayer. It's a prayer that is not just a nice, clever way of saying something. We are actually asking God, petitioning God to do something that only he can do. And it actually is something that he's already done, something that he is doing, and something that he will do. Let's begin by looking at this idea of obedience to the revealed will of God. When we pray, your will be done. What you have revealed to us, God, that you desire, what you have commanded in your scripture. Let that be done on earth where we live now as it is being done in heaven. What are we praying for? Kevin DeYoung recently released a book called The Lord's Prayer. He's a PCA pastor and a wonderful author, a very thoughtful man. Listen to how he describes what it is we are praying for when we say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, Heavenly Father, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven, we are asking God for the inbreaking of the messianic age. We are asking for his commandments to be obeyed promptly, gladly, sincerely. We are asking for Christ to reign in human hearts we are asking for the redemptive presence of God to be known and felt here and now. We are asking for the reign and rule of heaven to be experienced on earth. We are asking for God's final victory to arrive sooner than we think. The Lord's prayer is the cry of God's people. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's not simply a phrase, 
that has little meaning. We are asking God to bring his kingdom, his will and the way it's obeyed in heaven to earth. We are asking God to cause earth to look more like heaven than like hell, taught by another professor named Dan Doriani. Taking a bit of a different angle on this prayer, not divergent, just different. J.I. Packer says, when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we should see what the angelic beings and the spirits of the saints who have gone before us are doing. This is what he writes. For heaven's inhabitants, the ministering spirits, that's the angels, and the spirits of just men, women, men, who've gone before us who are in Christ. For heaven's inhabitants, it is a state right now of perfect communion with God and with others who are in God in complete contentment in his presence. Think about that. That's what we are waiting for. But while we're waiting, it's what we pray to understand and experience more of. He says, but for perfect communion, not only must God give without limit or restraint, his servants, angelic and human, must also respond without reserve, which means that in and through them, God's will is fully done. The doing of God's will is thus part of the definition of heaven, and it is part of heaven's glory that God gives those who are there full ability to do it. God has revealed his will to us. When we hear it, do we receive it and respond to it without reserve? When the Lord says, this is the way you are to think about sexuality. This is the way you're to think about being single. This is the way you're to think about being married. This is the way you're to think about being brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you receive God's will without reservation? When you see an aspect of the world that is so broken by sin, do you hear what God is saying about his kingdom? Or do you try to put a secondary or third-level kingdom in place of that? That's tempting for all of us. And when we do that, we are not praying, thy will be done. We're praying, my will be done. This is what I want. This is what I think should happen. This is what I think they should do. This is what I think God should do. When we pray, thy will be done, we are asking God to cause the obedience that exists to his revealed will in heaven, the obedience to what he's revealed to us on earth to be accomplished now as it is in heaven. But we're not there yet. And when we're not there yet, and we're not, this side of heaven, we experience the realities of that broken world, which means that we must continue to pray Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Turn to Psalm 119. 
Psalm 119, and I want you to go to a section that begins in verse 129. While you're turning there, there's a blue pew Bible in front of you if you didn't bring your own. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's broken up into eight verse sections, and each section is according to the Hebrew alphabet. It's a wonderful way of breaking down Scripture. I'm going to read one of those eight verse sections. And as I do, I want you to listen to the desire that the psalmist has to be obedient to the revealed will of God, his word. The word in Psalm 119 is going to be the word itself, word, testimonies, precepts, commands, laws. All those words reflect the word of God. Listen to what the the, uh, psalmist writes. Your testimonies, again, that's the word of God. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Listen to this. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Okay, let me pause. That should be normative for Christians. This shouldn't be for some extra level, high end, more deeply committed person. The normative reality for a believer ought to be that I long for your word. I long for your commandments. I love how the psalmist says it. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Do you? Do you? I want you to understand something. The answer can be yes. There can be grace in your life to the point where you're at a moment right now where you're like, Mark, that is true. Right now, I do long for his word. I pant for his word. Praise God for that. Sometimes we tend to think that we'll never arrive there. No, we can. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will be filled. Now, today you might be saying, I don't think that's me. I'm not sure I've ever experienced that. If you're in Christ, praise God that you even have that revelation. So what do you do about it? Try to make yourself thirsty? You can't. You ask God to make you thirsty. And it's his his will to do so. Pray to him. Open my mouth. Cause me to pant. Verse 132. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Well, that's just one section. One section of how the psalmist throughout 119 is speaking about his love for the the word of God, his love for the testimony, his love for the precepts. He wants so much to obey the revealed will of God. And don't you? Deep down, isn't that what you want If it's not, then you know where the work that you need to do with the Lord is present. The Lord's will might not taste good to you right now. It might be that the taste of sin, your own will, the will of the world, the will of the enemy is more attractive. Friends, if that's what you're drinking of, it may taste sweet now, but it's going to end in bitterness. 
And sometimes the wake of destruction for that is truly remarkable. Come to Christ. Seek to obey his will. It is good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. Romans 12, 1 and 2. This side of heaven, though, and we're not there yet. We experience the sad realities of a broken world. Listen to how the psalmist ends this section. Verse 136. The man who had just prayed, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments, now prays, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. That's is the word of God. The psalmist says, my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Do you cry? Are your cheeks red? And are there marks of streams of tears that come down because people that you know and see don't keep the word of God? You might not be a crier. You might think, I don't do that. That salty discharge you're talking about doesn't come out of my eyes. That's okay. You can still weep over the reality of what it means to know people who don't keep the law of God. I'm afraid we have tears because other people's sin annoys us or we think it's inconvenient, but we don't think what's ultimately at stake, and that is the glory of God being diminished and the ultimate destruction of a soul separated from God for all eternity. We shouldn't just be annoyed when people who aren't Christians don't think biblically. Our eyes should shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. So what do we do? Let the sadness... Let the sadness, let the tears lead to prayers, transformative prayers, prayers that really make Satan shudder, where we are praying for God to do what only God can do, and that is to overwhelm souls that don't love him or his word like ours did not love and obey to overwhelm them to the point where they're like, I want what I see in you. I want what I've heard is in here. Let your tears, your panting, lead to transforming prayers. Sincere, earnest petitions. And let me frame it like this. The prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the prayer Jesus taught us to pray has already been answered. It is being answered. It will be answered. One of the answers to this prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is Jesus Christ himself coming to this earth. Jesus Christ is 
100% God, 100% man. When Christ walked upon this earth a little over 2,000 years ago, Christ, the living God who created all things, walking upon the earth he himself made, heaven, his presence, his perfection, his glory was on earth. In Luke's gospel, he tells the story of two people who were waiting. Right now, we are waiting. Are we there yet? Have you ever been asked that question as the driver of a car? Are we there yet? Friends, as parents, you know what to say. We're not there yet. You'll know when we are. But you have some idea of how long it's going to take. Children in the back of the seat, they don't know. They just want to know, are we there yet? When it relates to the return of Christ, we have no idea when it's going to happen. I don't want to discourage you, but one of the PCA pastors, David Cassidy, when he preached at General Assembly, said, we may still be in the days of the early church. We don't know. In fact, if a person tells you they do know, and they give you a specific date, you can mark it down that it won't be then. We don't know. And to be honest with you, it doesn't matter. It's God's decree. It's going to happen when he wills it to happen. But what does matter is what we pray while we are waiting. And what we pray is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're waiting, but we're not the first to wait. Christ had been promised for a long time, all the way back to Genesis 3. This man, Simeon, is in the temple, and he's waiting. Luke 2.25 says there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The same Holy Spirit that was upon him is the same Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost and the same Holy Spirit living in you now if you are a Christian. The same Holy Spirit helping Simeon wait is the same Holy Spirit helping us wait. And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's the promised one. This is the one they've been waiting for for thousands of years. Verse 27, Simeon came in the spirit, just like you and I can, into the temple. And when the parents, that's Christ's parents, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms. Can you imagine that scene? I held four babies in this hour, four in the last. Can you imagine the scene of Simeon who has waited and waited and waited, now holding the Messiah, the promised one? And this is what he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, your revealed will, your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. They literally had seen his salvation. He's looking in the eyes of the one who is the Savior. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother, that's Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said this to his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, would it ever, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Along with Simeon, there was a prophetess, Anna, a woman, a prophet, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. So many in our midst can relate to her. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Simeon was doing the will of God on earth as it's to be done in heaven. Anna was doing the will of God on earth as it's to be done in heaven. Mary and Joseph were being obedient to the will of God as it is to be done in heaven. And the prayer is answered that Christ, the living God, fully God, fully man, is present on earth. Heaven had come to earth. While we wait, as Simeon did, while we wait, as Anna did, we cry out the same way with the same spirit in us. But one more thing I want you to see. That prayer has been answered in Christ. And that prayer will be answered in Christ. He is coming again. Joy to the world is a second Advent hymn. It's to prepare our hearts for his return. But while we're waiting and we are praying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, recognize this, that if you are in Christ and you are praying that prayer and sincerely praying that God's revealed will will be obeyed, received, earnestly followed, quickly followed, you yourself in Christ are already an answer to that prayer. Already you, wherever he's placed you in whatever family, whatever residence, whatever place of work or school, whatever church, whatever place of recreation, wherever he has placed you, you can pray thy will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. And as that desire in you grows, as you pant for the longing of that, as you weep for the places where it's not happening in your own life and in the life of others, God answers that prayer. Already, he answers that prayer. Not yet fully, but he's answering it. And it's, he's answering it in you because he's in you. Wherever you are, wherever you're called to go, you and I have a choice as it relates to the revealed will of God. We can thwart it. We can reject it. We can rebel against it. Or we can pray, God, 
Give us the grace to be the people you've called us to be wherever we are. Christ is in you. And when we pray for classmates, coworkers, neighbors, children, parents, family members, we pray thy will be done. Because what we want is people to know the truth of who he is. When you pray that prayer, which you've prayed many times, you are praying a prayer that makes Satan shudder. You're asking God to do what only he can do, and he can do it. And it's his will and desire to save his people. Father in heaven, there's so much more to those few words than we realize. And we are thankful for the ways in which you've already answered the prayer, the way you are answering the prayer, and the way you will answer the prayer. And one day, Lord, we will never make this petition again, nor will we pray forgive us of our sins, nor will we pray give us our daily bread, nor will we pray your kingdom come. The only petition that will continue is hallowed be thy name for all eternity. And that's what we're ultimately asking when we pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want people to hallow the name of Christ, to see it as holy and set apart. Father, I pray that today you would press these truths deep into our hearts so that as we rise and sing, even in the song, we would pant for you. Even in the song, our eyes would be filled with tears for a world that has rejected you. Lord, let this prayer be a prayer of great hope and not one of despair. For you are leading us. You are our king. You are leading us. You are our Lord. You are leading us. You are with us. And you will never forsake us. You promised. We hold you to that for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please stand.